Caitlin, remember that episode that we did on the survival story of Juliana Kupke, the plane crash survivor? And that was in, I think, the 1970s. It involved a plane crash. So yes, I did not forget. And it happened in the 1970s, which was like 50 years ago. So we like to think that, yeah, that probably won't happen again. But, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to tell you something real quick that is crazy that my mom sent me uh, after she listened to our Juliana Cupkey episode. Oh, gosh. And this is an article that CNN put out on June 12th of this year. So this just happened. Today. Today's June June 12th. 12th. Oh, well, then, yes, today (laughs) (laughs) they have put it out. And this is the title of the article. Children found (gasps) after 40 days in Amazon survived by eating Kosovo flour. Yes, and I saw that. The oldest was 13 and the youngest was one year old. God. Yes, so these uh, were four children, or are four children, excuse me, 13-year-old Leslie, I'm sorry, I'm going to not say the whole names because I am going to utterly butcher butcher them, um, but it was four children, 13-year-old Leslie, nine-year-old Selene, four-year-old Tian, and an infant named Kristen, and they are currently recovering in a hospital in the Colombian capital of Bogota after being taken there by air ambulance flown by the Colombian Air Force on Saturday. The children survived a crash. They were the only survivors of a plane crash that also killed their mother, Magdalena, and the pilot, Hernando. And I'm sorry, I'm just kind of skimming the article because it's a long one. Mm -hmm. But basically, the plane crashed and... All of the adults were tragically killed, and these children survived for 40 days by solely their knowledge. 40 days. Yes. um, They used the knowledge that they had acquired from living in the area, just like Juliana Kupke, to keep themselves alive for that long. And apparently... They were dehydrated and malnourished, but that was their only significant injuries. Yeah, because like everything I read, there were so many predators, panthers, snakes, like so many things that could have gotten even just the baby. Yeah. Oh my God. And yeah, it's it's truly incredible. Like every single one of those kids is a fucking hero. Oh, absolutely. And also a hero is the Belgian Shepherd Special Forces search dog that they apparently happened across while they were lost in the jungle because he had become separated from the Special Forces unit and the dog ended up spending, it was like four days with the children while they were in the woods. Okay, let's do it And it looks like the dog was with the children when uh, they were found. So it was like at the end of their time, yeah. they came across Wilson uh, and he stayed Wilson. with them. Wilson. <laughs> God, we really don't God, deserve Yeah, dogs. but I remember reading the article. They found footprints and mm. they found a discarded diaper and bottle. Oh. And they lost hope like after a while. Oh my God. And I'm just like. 
that baby like no i have a one-year-old little girl she literally just turned one and i panic if she is out of my sight for five seconds i my god like that is truly a miracle Uh, like regardless of what you believe about god or whatever like that is a miracle i mean praise the 13 year old Uh, because i also read that like she was used to caring for them while her mother worked okay so like she went into full mama bear mode grew up so fast in those 40 days i can only imagine man if we can find i'm sure there is a link to support them or something that somebody has put in place we will absolutely link that in the show notes because send them all of the help and resources and man that is incredible and apparently just to reiterate how like fucking scary it is and how dense it is out there when that plane went down a massive military-led search operation started almost immediately, and more than 100 Colombian Special Forces troops and over 70 indigenous scouts combed the deep forest, and it still took them 40, 40 days. days to Holy find them. Cow. So even with 50 years having passed since Juliana Cupkey's yeah. survival, that just goes to show you that like the harshness of nature doesn't change at all like that's oh man that is so chilling i mean i just hope that wherever she is their mom was able to see that they're okay (laughs) kayla's crying again (laughs) but i believe that she was that or maybe oh gosh that hurts my heart i i mean i really believe that wherever she is she was able to see that her children are okay because fuck. Oh. Anyways, let's talk about some heinous axe murder. Welcome to Camping is Cancelled. Lights out campers. Oh man, the mountains call my number one. I'm just a Real quick, before we get into this, we're going to go right into part two. So if you have not listened to part one, stop where you are right now, go back and listen to that, or everything we're about to talk about will not make any sense. Okay. (laughs) After the shame of Leonada's fraud scandal and serving her pretty short prison sentence, the Chinchuli family decided to pick up and leave and settle down once again in a new place. They got a little house by the Asento River in Lacedonia in the province of Avellino. Raphael landed a secure clerk job, which allowed Leonardo to be a full-time homemaker, and their three surviving children thrived in small-town life. Leonardo became pregnant again, and steeled herself for a miscarriage like so many times before, but miraculously, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. She felt wary of her good fortune. At this point in her life, she'd pretty much given up the belief that the curse was a figment of her anxiety, 
and it was bizarrely a relief to Leonarda whenever she would have a miscarriage because it was confirmation to her that her mind wasn't actually the one to blame. And she desperately needed this confirmation because against Raphael's pleading, she'd sat down once again in the tent of another traveling Romani palm reader who'd looked up from her hand and said, in one hand, I can see prison and in the other, an insane asylum. This was a terrifying prospect for Leonardo because like we've touched on before, prisons at the time were no vacation, but there was at least a possible end in sight to a prison sentence. But an insane asylum? Once you were deemed insane and sent to one of those places, you never came back out. Now, as you, dear campers, can imagine, these words from the palm reader did not help Leonardo's anxiety. Obviously. Uh, no. And she became obsessed with visiting the Romani fortune tellers nightly and learning everything she could about the occult in the hopes of finding a way to break or avoid her mother's curse. But in the end, all she really learned was that there was really no way to predict exactly what would happen to her next. Fortune telling wasn't an exact science. It was a subtle art. And black and white answers about what the exact whens and wheres of events were apparently not something the universe liked to disclose. Apparently, though, in all of her researching and obsessing over fortune telling, she learned how to read fortunes herself. Ooh! Mm. And actually began doing so for neighbors who, like Leonardo, found themselves looking for answers to problems that they were told to just do a Hail Mary about in church. Leonardo would not be worrying about where the curse would manifest for long, though, because one night at the end of the summer, the Chinchuli family were sleeping outside beneath the stars after a lovely day spent together at Lacedonia's Harvest Season Festival. Leonardo and Raphael woke from a deep slumber and sat bolt upright and looked at one another in horror as their four children slept soundly between them. Their campsite was rippling like it had turned to water, and within minutes, the peaceful slumber of Lacedonia was flung into the utter chaos of a devastating earthquake. Beautiful stone homes that had stood solid for so many years crumbled to dust, and the heaving earth literally flung townspeople into the air as they fled their homes in panic. As abruptly as it begun, the 1930 Irpina earthquake ended. Every single home in the little town of Lacedonia, including the Pensardes, had been utterly destroyed, and the death toll was estimated to be at least 1,400 men, women, and children. The only thing that had saved the Chinchulis that night was that they'd been sleeping outside in an open field far away from the collapsing buildings and flying rubble. Hail no. Can I just say, and maybe it's because I'm a little tipsy, <laughs> so don't hate me for saying it, say but maybe Raphael is the problem. Because homie's the one making them move to all these crazy ass places. He he got her that job where she landed herself. and I <laughs> He knocked her up? Oh. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe I it's just, Maybelline. I mean, he's Maybe a great man. 
I mean. Ooh, that would be a plot twist. I just, I mean. Mm. You know, he is one of those sus people that is like always just kind of gliding along, not causing any trouble, but there's just chaos blowing up around him. Maybe it is him. I'm just saying. Mm. Maybe Maybe her mother cursed him. He's the curse. After losing 10 children in total, only four remained. Giuseppe, two girls, and the youngest baby boy. As horrific as the event of the earthquake was, its magnitude and the absolute destruction it caused of the Pansardi's home signified to Leonarda that this was what her anxiety had been preparing her for for years. This was the ultimate event of the curse. And they may have lost everything, but that horrible feeling of building dread and doom had entirely disappeared, and Leonardo was hopeful that it had finally exhausted itself, destroying the entire town of Lacedonia. For the last time, the Pansardis packed up and headed out to start all over again. They settled down in a small home connected to an abandoned storefront in the quiet town of Carigio, and the townspeople welcomed the Pansardi family with open arms. I know exactly that feeling, though, that, like, dread, and then when something bad finally Mm. happens, I'm like, that was it. It's like a relief. Yes. Yeah. And you have talked before on this podcast about having anxiety Mm -hmm. and depression and things like that, and yet you are still a, what I would consider, or if you, you may at least hide it very well, but you (laughs) appear to be a well-functioning, responsible adult and mother, And if you can relate to what she went through Mm -hmm. on a very tiny scale, but then think about how she perceives what you're describing, you understand Mm -hmm. through the lens of her extreme trauma and level, or I would say lack of knowledge about the world around her, then you can see why she is the way that she is. Yeah, I can't imagine, again, just the fraction of what I can, you know, resonate with. Yeah. Having that at a grander scale, no knowledge, no, Mm -hmm. truly no support system. Yeah. And just, I mean, even if she didn't have all this going on, like with her loss of children and Mm -hmm. her relationship with her mother and all. Yeah. Just like life fucking her over and over again. Yeah. And to be a woman in that time when your entire worth and value was placed in your, your vagina. success. Yeah. And your vagina working bluntly, properly. And, exactly. And when it doesn't, and that's entirely outside of your control, but the world around you is screaming at you that you're a failure. Yeah. And there's something broken inside of you i that just would be so awful not only for her but for all of the women in that time mm-hmm. i just and and that's where i'll give grace to Raphael cuz yeah. i mean earlier i was just joking but yeah he he is supportive of her she he, i mean as far as we know he's not condemning her or blaming her for the losses he's not no pointing the finger at her just yet you know by all accounts he genuinely seems like a good man that Mm -hmm. loved her and was working hard 
to make the best possible life for their family. And there's something to be said for that. So Mm -hmm. RIP Raphael, we're not, we're not knocking on you too much. The darkness that had clouded Leonardo's mind and drove her to self-isolate for so long faded away in their new town. And for the first time in her life, she began making real friends. She found herself laughing at her children's jokes and taking pleasure in the daily tasks of caring for her family. And thanks to all of the years she'd spent navigating her mother's unpredictable moods and dramas, she maintained an air of neutrality among the women of the town that made her Correggio's go-to person for tea spilling because she would listen to women without judgment and would offer advice only when she was asked. The active imagination that had also crippled her with anxiety in all the years she had been so obsessed with her mother's curse gave way to her writing beautiful poetry. And before Leonardo knew it, she and Raphael and their four children were not just residents of Correggio, They were deeply woven socially into its community, and instead of being spoken about with pity or contempt, Leonardo finally entered rooms and was met with warm affection and respect. Raphael was incredibly grateful for the turn of events that had fallen to their family after so much tragedy. His job was rock solid, and the family finally had some security. And it was like the hopeful and imaginative woman he had first fallen in love with was finally coming back to him. Aww. Aww. Mm. As their children grew older and Leonardo had more free time on her hands, her thoughts turned to the abandoned shop space that was connected directly to their home and how easy it would be for her to start a business. During her time working as a night cleaner for the bank, mm, not the best times. <laughs> no. Leonardo had become very skilled at making perfumed oils and soaps and was already well known among the townspeople as being an excellent soap maker from the time she had made soaps and given them out as gifts. So with the enthusiastic support of Raphael, she decided to turn that skill into her very own shop. From the day it opened, Leonardo was astonished at the booming success of her soap store. News of her excellent products reached far beyond Carigio, and people traveled from all over Italy to purchase her goods. She was making enough money to fully support their family and have enough savings to give her children a secure future. One of the sources that I read said that when she suggested the idea to Raphael, you know what, I think I'm going to turn that thing next door into a soap shop, that he was like, yeah hell yeah and then, like the next day he had Aww. like completely painted a shop sign for her and had it done within a week and i was like he he was probably like thank you god that oh, she's yes. doing something besides staring at our children while they sleep oh bless uh, his heart that's a good husband but that's also yes very no. kind of him and supportive <sighs> Gosh, I just hate that I we know, obviously, everybody yeah. knows the story's taking a turn. Yes, it does. The Pensardi family thrived in Correggio, and as the months and years went by, Leonardo's shop became a favorite stop for the townspeople for more than just soap. During a dinner party one evening, 
Leonardo shared her past interests and experience with fortune-telling with some of the party-goers, and suddenly the women of the town who would previously come to the shop for soap and friendly gossip were also asking for palm readings and fortune-tellings. And Leonardo's daughter would continue serving customers while Leonardo sat down to read palms over tea cakes and coffee. And astonishingly, whether she was just incredibly perceptive or gifted in that realm that we've already said we don't <laughs> believe we want to fuck around and find out with, Leonardo consistently and accurately gave predictions to anyone who came to her for a reading. Before long, when anyone needed advice on when to plant crops or which suitor to marry, the soap maker was who they went to see. Even the traveling Romanis learned of Leonardo's skill and reputation, and they frequently came to visit her and traded her books on the occult, tarot cards, bone runes, and all sorts of spiritual paraphernalia for her soaps. She actually acquired a collection of serious literature on the occult that was so big it was arguably one of the largest private collections in Italy, and second only to her precious Giuseppe, this collection and the knowledge available to her in its pages became her greatest pride and obsession. Daily, when she wasn't working in the soap shop, she pored over writings on Italian folk magic, European witchcraft, and Tuscan folk magic, and developed correspondence relationships with occult experts and scholars all over Italy to deepen her scope of knowledge. I don't think I've ever been so obsessed with something other than the Lord of the Rings, but if she was in any way obsessed with the occult that high school and middle school and honestly today school me is <laughs> to Lord of the Rings, then <laughs> it was intense. I was, the, I was like, what am I obsessed with? Can you guess? Can you guess the one thing, the one person? Jensen mm -hmm. motherfucking Ackles. I was like, mm. huh, huh. He oh. is a beautiful man, Caitlin, and we will get you to a con where you can meet him where there's not a thing of plexiglass between you. I just want to, I don't praise any other human. Mm. He is just different. He, I don't think he is human. He's just. Oh. But also I was like, my ADHD, I'm like, I, like Jacob knows, like I will go to him and be like, I really want to do crocheting. I was like, oh, I really want your mom. Like I want to ask your mom if she'll teach me how to sew. Like I think making clothes is so cool. And I'm like, pottery. We should do pottery, Jacob. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really want to get into this. I really want to get into that. Like, and, but good for her for like you know doing something and getting oh, into yeah. it and like. And at this point, it's like, it's, this this is also fucking cool. Like, oh yeah. It was around this same time. I mean, we weren't that far removed. I know it had been a bit, but we weren't that far removed from burning people alive who were even suspected of being interested in anything to do with the right. occult. So the fact that she had a personal library oh. that was one of the most impressive in an entire country... Devoted to a subject so cool. that would be so cool. It makes me think of the 
um, the restricted section of the Hogwarts uh, yes. library that like she had one of those in her the shop magic. and does that mean I want to fuck around with it? No, but do I think that it's super cool? Would that... I still fuck around with it? <laughs> Probably if would given I, the chance. Would I still go to her for a palm reading? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. She soap. No, <laughs> she has transitioned at this point she's in her yes girl she's thriving yes this is a lot of super cool things that she's doing i mean what annoying hipster doesn't try to have a soap shop now i mean and how many of those booths have we been to at those like craft fairs where people had their own soap but then they also had like astrology related stuff or like and i'm always interested in it but i'm like "Eh, i don't like bar soap like i don't like the way it feels on my skin it's just interesting how those two things always seem to go together but leonardo was like the og person doing it all craft fair i'm sorry caitlin i keep hitting this (laughs) (laughs) we're just really getting into this still but yeah, it's just really cool that she was into all this and that clearly her I, husband didn't stop her because bitch, he just if to live she has like a life. museum, oh my we have God. to like hit it up. Yes, there has to be stuff of her somewhere. I, I know there's like, I feel like there is something, but like just that collection itself, like the yeah. occult stuff, like the, just everything that she was thriving on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Everything cool. that she was thriving on and that other people would end up not thriving. <laughs> we are a true crime podcast. Okay. But, but at this point, things are pretty cool for Leonardo mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. family. So just bear that in mind. So after all this studying, it was no longer enough for Leonardo to just have the occult knowledge and read palms. No, never mm. enough. No. She wanted to be able to use the skills she read about to manipulate the world around her with spells, herbs, and charm bags to help or hurt whatever the situation called for. She was also fascinated by curses and wanted to have knowledge to dissect and break free of any lingering effects from her mother's curse. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little, you know, mental damage. It makes sense. This is how she's trying to deal with her trauma. I cannot blame her. She doesn't have a local CVS she can just run to for a prescription. No. So so spells. (laughs) So spells. (laughs) She began practicing spells and rites to weave protection over her family. And whether or not they had an effect in the physical world, the alleviation they gave her anxiety cannot be overstated. I get that. Mm Mm-hmm. She believed that as long as she performed these rites and rituals correctly, she could ward off any threat of doom for her family or whomever sought out her skills. And many said that she was the greatest expert on Streganaria protection spells in all of Italy. As long as she continued selling her soap and keeping up with her spells and rites, Leonardo believed nothing could go wrong. And then suddenly, it was 1939, and World War II had begun. By this point, Giuseppe had grown from Leonardo's precious baby boy into a fully grown man. And while he loved his mother deeply, 
He had a bit of a different relationship with her than his much younger siblings. The formative years of Giuseppe's life had been completely overshadowed by his mother's crippling anxiety and obsession with keeping him safe, so much so that he'd never even had enough space to make friends until the family landed in Correggio and Leonardo had managed to breathe. He knew how much she desperately loved him, and he didn't want to hurt her, but he was also desperate himself to break away from her, because she had a relentless and overbearing way of pouring all of her attention into him. And the coming of war, plus all the propaganda that Mussolini had directed at Italy's young men, that military life would be glorious and easy, was enough for Giuseppe to slip away one afternoon and enlist. To the young people in town, Giuseppe was a hero for courageously enlisting in the days before recruitment was mandatory, but for the widows and mothers whose wounds ran raw and deep from the loss of 600,000 of their men in World War I, their stomachs pooled with dread knowing that he and all the other boys who marched off for Mussolini in their polished boots were most likely never coming back. Damn. <laughs> Ooh. Giuseppe, of course, had not said anything to his mother. Anything before enlisting. Yeah, would not either. Ah. Uh, uh, fuck. I already expressly forebode my husband and my brother-in-law and my brother from ever enlisting in the military as them being fully grown men and me knowing ultimately that I have no control over the decisions they make as fully grown men. But uh, I truly have such a deep gratitude and appreciation for our good men and women of the military. People who have good hearts and good morals that want to serve and protect their country while also you know i don't not, want my kid to die <laughs> yeah while also being like you know we'd like you to be here with us for a while <sighs> he had hoped that when he worked up the courage to break the news to her gently her pride for his service to their country would outweigh her unavoidable dismay <sighs> i hate to break it tim <laughs> that's not how that works oh god yeah Ugh. But he, also, you probably shouldn't be proud of, you know, serving Mussolini, but that's another uh, mm, thing mm. for another time. But he never even got the chance to break the news himself. Oh, fuck. Because she abruptly found out while walking through the market with Giuseppe and a friend called out, <laughs> a friend called out congratulations to him for enlisting. I, oh, that I, I can truly like I I can see the mental the mental image of her brain shattering and his eyes widening like shut the fuck up right oh now. gosh and then just bolting away from her and her just like standing there with a chicken in her hands being like <gasps> the chicken just slowly gets crushed <laughs> oh. oh god yeah that was definitely an awkward moment Ugh. Utterly blindsided, Leonardo rushed home, locked herself in her study, 
full of spell books and fell to the floor sobbing. Her precious Giuseppe, her miracle son, was certainly going to die an agonizing death. She had grown up in the aftermath of World War I. She had seen the men who somehow made it home with their bodies mangled and burned just to spend the rest of their days hobbling around and desperately trying to blot out the horrors they've witnessed with a liquor bottle. Leonardo's mind raced. Her delicate and sensitive Giuseppe was no soldier. He'd be blown to pieces in minutes, and they'd be lucky to even have his body back to bury. She realized that the earthquake back in Lacedonia that had decimated their entire village had not, in fact, been the curse expending itself. That had just been a prelude, a warning for what was to come. And all the years she had spent studying and honing her skills in the world of spells, curses, charms, and herbs had been preparing her for such a time as this. Her true fate was to save her son, and the protection spell she must now weave over him would take days and weeks of careful study and planning. This would be her greatest and strongest magical feat yet. Later that evening, Giuseppe returned home to find the house cold, dark, and empty, save for a soft glow of candlelight beneath the door to Leonardo's study. He shook his head to clear it from the few glasses of wine he'd had at the pub with friends and... Who goes to the, who goes to the pub and has wine? <laughs> if you're a fancy in Italy. middle upper class man in Italy in 1939, you're having some wine. As we're over here drinking liquor. <laughs> yeah. The gas station. <laughs> uh, anywho, so he was having a few glasses of wine. Mm-hmm with friends and placed his hand on the study doorknob, bracing himself for the tongue lashing he'd been avoiding all day since the market. Barely anyone in town so much as bought a new cow without consulting his mother first, and here he'd gone and enlisted in the army without even telling her. But to Giuseppe's surprise, he opened the study door to find his mother calmly bent over her desk. That sounds dirty. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. Calmly calmly bent over her desk is my stripper name if I ever have. Mm. Or if I ever write a memoir. Calmly, calmly bent, bent over her desk. <laughs> And I'll be talking about writing, all you people with your dirty minds. And my dirty-minded husband. (laughs) I have too many images flashing through my head. Not of you and your husband. Thank you. Like 13-year-old me. Maybe. You were calmly bent over a desk. No! I'm 13-year-old me thinking about your husband. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Do we need to tell the people <laughs> that 13-year-old Caitlin was at a party? This was before. At my future husband's yeah, birthday party. At her future husband's birthday party, Genevieve was in another state, totally oblivious to the existence of the Wilhelms. Caitlin 
had a massive crush on my now husband and put on what she thought were his pants and laid in his bed. But what actually weren't <laughs> his pants and were the pants of the brother-in-law in whose room we now sit in recording this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Full circle, guys. Full circle. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> And whose questionably dirty hoodie I'm now wearing because his apartment is freezing. <laughs> things really do come full circle, don't they? They do. And things happen also, how they're supposed to Also, that sentence was kind of dirty. <laughs> um, but now I have my husband. I'm very into him. I can still appreciate that the Wilhelms are a nice breed. Yes. Yes, they are. But, um, anywho... And Sam has his pants back, and yeah. Josh was wildly flattered because it's the thought that counts. I do like to say I've been in. I when I was thirteen, I was like, "Oh, I was in Josh's pants," oh, but now been I've been in, in all Sam's pants. pants. You've been in all three of their pants, haven't you? Have I Jacob, been in Josh's pants? Josh. Oh, I guess you thought you were in. I was. Josh's I thought pants. I was in Josh's yeah, pants. I've been and in your pants. You have been in my pants. And then I was in Matt's pants that one time I started my period at work. And I had to go borrow a pair of his basketball shorts. <laughs> so, yeah. He found his mother calmly bent over her desk, you know, doing work. Mm -hmm. Not getting <laughs> fucked. Mm. Furiously. <laughs> See, I almost wrote furiously bent over her desk, but that would... <laughs> I don't know which one is worse. Oh, gosh. Maybe I should just get rid of bent over her desk. No, no, no. We're, mm. we, I already said it. We yeah. already talked about it. <laughs> Anywho, she was furiously scratching with a pen, surrounded by ancient books full of strange symbols. There was no outburst of wailing and begging, no fury or ranting about being disappointed in him. She simply smiled. Oh, God. She simply smiled and offered to make him dinner. And as they ate, it was increasingly apparent to the astonished Giuseppe that his mother had resigned herself to accept his decision to enlist. She calmly asked him questions about when he was leaving and where he would be going and such. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know why this is so creepy. It's because, like, we we know there's something that, yeah. like, this the screws, the bolts in her head, you know they were unhinged unloosening yeah 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 <sighs> but giuseppe's just like this is great She's he's like oh my out. gosh <sighs> and leonardo's just, just like, wait babe just wait right 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 in my spell book mm -hmm. i'm Hello, gonna be darling. scrubbing you from your lips Let to your taint <laughs> like getting those toes imagine cleaning my grown son's butthole <laughs> oh giuseppe breathed a sigh of relief to escape what he had been certain would be his mother's complete emotional collapse finally she was seeing him as a fully grown man who was independent of her control or so he thought mm -hmm. After Leonarda had allowed herself that brief moment of raw emotion alone in her study after the market, she'd risen from the floor single-minded in her focus that from here on out, it was her alone versus the curse that was definitely coming for the life of her miracle son. 
Before Giuseppe had even gotten back from the tavern, Leonardo's earnest consulting of her spellbooks had confirmed what she'd already suspected and knew to be the key factor that all her years of mystical study and every ancient text agreed upon, the alchemy law of equivalent exchange. To get something, you have to lose something. To save a life, another life would have to be given up. This would be the cornerstone of the spell. Someone would have to die, but two more factors remained. The specifics of the ritual for taking that life and the vessel for how exactly she would transfer the protection onto Giuseppe. The herbs and charms that she had mixed for so many years in the little protection bags known as brevi bags would simply not cut it. They could be easily dropped or lost by Giuseppe at any point before he was actually in battle. He needed to be utterly covered, inside and out if possible, with supernatural and powerful protection. Hurting another human being, let alone murder, was something that Leonardo had never even entertained her entire time on this earth. She had never so much as laid a finger on any of her children, and once they'd been able to afford it, Leonardo would only buy chickens for cooking from the market that had already been killed and plucked. So much did she hate the act of having to bring the axe down on the birds. Same. Same, Leonardo. And giving her props here is warranted because I feel like it was the cultural norm to beat the shit out of your kids for no reason all the time. And yeah, she, I mean, that's what she was raised yeah, in. And the fact that she endured that herself and then made it a point to never do that to her own children is definitely praiseworthy. Mm. So we can say, I guess, that obviously we weren't there in her house, but she seems to not be a violent person and to hate violence and to hate seeing other people get hurt. Look, as we've talked about before, she has not crossed the line of no return. And so, like, right now, she is just a broken person. Yeah. And. Yep. Even the bank fraud. Oh, yeah. Both you and I would have done that. We would have done that in a heartbeat. I would do that right now. Yeah, she wasn't hurting anybody. And she was like, I fully believe this is my only way to get my son and my family out her from kids this were course. dying yeah exactly so mm. and she did her prison time for it and with built, the nuns yeah and then built an amazing life for herself she and did things are starting to take a dark turn now but she hasn't crossed over yet we're just tiptoeing yeah <laughs> she's tiptoeing She'd witnessed and endured so much pain at the hands of her own mother for so many years that she never wanted to bring suffering herself on anyone else as long as she lived. But now, fate was calling her through a dark doorway that there would be no return from. And if violence meant sparing the life of her son, even to the point of murder, she stepped through it without hesitation. Is it too much to say same? I mean, would I ever plot and carry out the murder of someone for the sake of a spell? No. But the sentiment of being willing to do whatever it takes, if you genuinely believe 
that the life of your child is at stake, I can empathize with that emotion. I am not saying that I would do this, but having empathy for her feelings, I absolutely have. That feeling of desperation and... I think, I mean, it's obvious she has some form of mental illness. Yeah. It is obviously unmedicated. It is obviously, like, it's not even addressed. Yeah. She has this all going on. She's in a time period. A time period. It's not even 100 years ago. (laughs) But, like, a time period where, like, the supernatural was more of, like, you know. You're correct, though. Like, studied in. Like, if I were in her shoes... I had lost these children. Mm-hmm. Hell, even if I just had Camden, mm-hmm. if I just had my one kid, I mm-hmm. would do anything yeah. to ensure if I was unmedicated, like and I, so I just much like of your life had been dictated yeah. by the control of her abusive mother and then that curse that her abusive mother put on her. Absolutely. Would I have sacrificed a lamb? Can yeah. I even kill a fucking spider without, like, feeling immense remorse? No. But would I have taken a lamb's life? Hell yeah. It would be so incredibly fascinating for me to get a deep psychological expert's, like, a psychoanalysis breakdown of the workings of her mind and how the trauma of her childhood and her relationship with her mother and the curse affected every facet of her life as an adult even just like being denied the love from her mother which we know that can fuck somebody severely but then she finds something she can love like all we want is love all we want is acceptance like that is just like a common occurrence amongst Mm -hmm. us humans yeah and it's it's being threatened to be taken away from her yep we've seen time and time again that the denial of love on the part of the mom does something not good to the developing brain of a child. The denial of love on the part of the dad does something not good to the developing brain of a child, especially when it was there in the beginning and then it gets abruptly taken away or that Mm -hmm. child craves that because I know that there are incredible, wonderful families that are not the typical, you know, heterosexual uh male female Mm -hmm. marriages and parenthoods and they are beautiful and the kids turn out amazing and it's called loving your fucking child just love exactly but it's when their parental figure that is in place denies them that love and affection that they so desperately need especially when they're under the same roof that fucks you up and I just, it is no surprise to me that the degree of violence and bleakness and just general casual attitude surrounding violence was so prevalent in the world up until, I feel like it's really just been recently in the last couple of decades that we've started being like, you know? Maybe that's really not good. Physical violence makes me, on the one hand, when men are punching each other, I get super turned on. (laughs) And then on the other hand, when I watch a war movie and I have to see, like, 
essentially children getting blown up, it makes me have that like guttural like weep on a level that I I'm like I gotta stop watching this because this is not healthy for me mentally and so there's something that just relentless violence exposure to it or like subjection to it does to kids that you just can't come back from and that happened to Leonardo as a child so even though she chose to not turn around and do that to her own kids as we're gonna go on to see it reemerges later so hard yikes leonardo lay awake staring at the ceiling as Raphael slept deeply beside her her mind meticulously working to craft a plan she knew two things she wanted the taking of this life for her protection spell to be as painless as possible for whomever it was And she absolutely could not get caught, or the innocent life she had to claim would be sacrificed for nothing. Giuseppe was her miracle child, the first one of her children to beat the curse in the womb and in birth. And the curse would now be coming for him with a vengeance as soon as he was away from the safety of her vigilant watch. Her whole life, she had been fighting against her mother's poisonous words. And with this final act of protection, their hold would surely be broken forever. Suddenly, it hit her. Soap and food. Those would be the two vessels she would use to transfer the protection spell onto Giuseppe. Why else would she have the skill of soap making and the ability to cook if not for this? Now, all that was left was the planning and execution of the perfect murder. At this point in her life, Leonardo was in the fortunate position of absolute trust from the people of Carigio. She was the wise fortune-telling, charm-making, and incredible soap maker, the friend and confidant to everyone who came to her door. In a time when women's rights were virtually non-existent, as we told you all about in part one, Leonardo had even been known to discreetly assist in the termination of pregnancies for women who had been victims of the same violence her own mother had suffered. Literally every day, she had had appointments to meet with women in the town, and most often, these appointments were with women who were most alone and vulnerable. Thanks to the times in 1930s Italy, All it took to be considered alone and vulnerable and a spinster was basically being an adult single woman choosing her own course through life without the particular guidance of a husband or father. Even for widows, any decision or move that was made in life after the passing of their husband was considered to be an extension of their death. Fuck them. (laughs) Of their dead husband's or father's will. Why does penis control everything? penis 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 literally all i can think of what it must boil down to this is my incredibly dumb person idea is that people that just have a raging amount of testosterone are just physically bigger and stronger so when you are generationally just bigger and stronger and able to dominate you just do i mean 
But it also goes back to your being, whether it's religion, whether it's mm-hmm. culture, whether it's blah, blah, blah. If you're raised in it and it's all you know, it's, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Huh. It's a mess. But nowadays, we run the world. Yes. And it's like in certain parts of the world, we're aware of how fucked up it is and are working to do better in other parts. Mm-hmm. It's just as bad as it was a thousand years ago but hopefully in those parts of the world where we are aware and are working to do better mm-hmm. there can be a trickle down effect because what else can we do i mean i don't know yeah penises should not determine absolute power dick is good but it's like not <laughs> that good you know it's not that good yeah there's other things we can work with <laughs> I did say my, what did I say? My stripper name earlier was calmly bent over her desk. (laughs) I'm angrily bent over the desk. Enthusiastic consent is a must. Mm -hmm. When there's not enthusiastic consent, it is not okay. (sighs) Women who did not fit this mold were purposely shunned and overlooked as a social warning that unless you wanted to be a social outcast, you'd better get married asap and start cranking out babies yay spencers were free game for jokes and ridicule and they often came to leonarda because she treated them with genuine warmth and kindness would listen to their troubles and would offer them advice on marriage prospects one of these women was faustina seti who in her 40s was still unwed thanks to several failed engagements she had been coming to Leonardo regularly, desperate for help finding a suitable partner so she would no longer be a pariah. And Leonardo had genuinely tried, but despite her best efforts, she hadn't been able to make any potential suitors stick with Faustina. <laughs> Say it so. Like she always managed to do in the end with other women. It was for this reason that Leonardo realized fate must have had different purpose for the unmarried woman. She must have gone all of her days, a blessed version, there's that Madonna complex again, Mm -hmm. so that her soul would be pure for the sacrifice it, oh, for the sacrifice it needed to make to protect Leonardo's sweet, innocent Giuseppe. Mm -hmm. I would also like to point out the irony here that Judeo-Christianity, Catholicism, all of those religions like to massively shit on occult practices but literally the cornerstone of judeo-christianity is the sacrifice of a pure blameless spotless individual jesus christ so isn't it interesting that this is like a reflection of that but in a darker sense it's, it's just not a, even a darker sense like yeah. that's i mean it, in a literal sense it, like it is yeah. it's the exact same concept that alchemy concept we talked about earlier that there has to be that equivalent exchange of a life for a life and i mean that is rampant like the examples of that are all throughout literature they're mm-hmm. in art there i mean that that concept of giving a sacrifice to get what you want 
has Mm -hmm. always existed. And so this isn't some sort of like fringe, crazy person idea. This is... Again, this is the 20th century. So this is like closer than the barbaric, the like all these ages of like kill, 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 kill. It's just like a foundational concept of religion in general or any sort of like soup trying to shift the supernatural involves sacrifice and again despite her upbringing despite mental illness despite Mm -hmm. anything like kind of what you're saying Mm -hmm. she's not too far off from the same quacks that you know she was housed by with the nuns like what they believe in and what she believes in it's not that different no So the next time that Faustina paid a visit to Leonarda's shop, Leonarda greeted her at the door with an almost manic energy and blurted out the words that Faustina had waited so many years to hear. I found you a husband. As she poured Faustina some tea, Leonarda dove into an incredible story that had the lonely woman practically giddy with excitement. There was a man in the country of Pola, which we know now to be Croatia, who had seen Faustina's picture and fallen head over heels in love with her. Leonarda, being the wonderful friend that she was, had taken the liberty of writing to this man on Faustina's behalf, and, wouldn't you know it, he was dead set on wanting to marry Faustina so much so that he was already planning their wedding in anticipation of her yes. And while Leonardo knew this was all incredibly overwhelming to take in, she told Faustina that she knew this was fate and not to worry, that she would help her take care of everything. And before Faustina knew it, she would be happily married to an amazing, kind, attractive, and wealthy man, and starting her life fresh at the top of the social ladder in Pola. Oh man. <laughs> this is it is this catfishing? Is this oh. what we would call catfishing? Uh, mm. So he's wealthy. He's good looking. Yes. He hasn't seen me in person. <laughs> Basically he's a Nigerian prince. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not no. even asking for money. Here's my social security he number. Just wants her to come. Mm. there travel there yeah if he's such a good man he wants her to come oh man gosh (laughs) fuck this is also really shitty of leonardo because she obviously knows that this woman is vulnerable that she's desperate for this change of life and she's using all of the things that she knows she wants so badly to manipulate her into doing exactly what she wants. So that's not okay, Leonardo. We are no longer tame Leonardo. Yeah, the line has been crossed because we, yeah. Without hesitation, Faustina turned over her life savings to Leonardo so that she could plan her travel journey and set off to take care of the next piece of Leonardo's advice. She warned Faustina that even though she had total confidence in the validity of this man in Pola, her family might try to sway her to not go, or at least to wait, 
and that unlike Leonardo, they wouldn't be able to see right away that the path for Faustina was guaranteed to end in happiness. Because, duh. Yeah. Because you're... Common sense. Yeah, because if you have good family and friends and they tell you something and you're like, no. It's, if it's too good to be true... It's probably good. To, yeah. It's probably good. <laughs> it's probably good. <laughs> In this case, it's not. No. Ugh. She advised her that the way to avoid any drama would be to write several letters to her family and friends ahead of time, explaining that she was traveling to Pola to be with her new husband, for them not to worry and to reassure them of her safety and happiness with a man who at this point she hadn't even seen in person. Leonardo would send off the letters once Faustina was very well on her way. When Faustina asked why she couldn't just wait to send these letters once she was actually settled in Pola, Leonardo said that the mail service there was unreliable. Okay, bitch, how are you getting letters from him? Yeah, exactly. (sighs) This had to be the point where Faustina, because she was so eager, and here she has a friend who is posturing herself as being like, I can see and at any, this is the man of your dreams yeah and at any point was she given like a reason to doubt her no she wasn't because she had a really good reputation she was trustworthy people liked her she wasn't seen as someone who was shady or unreliable mm-hmm. so i can't give faustina a hard time no. for not believing leonardo because leonardo is clearly very skilled at manipulating people and she she's got an agenda played faustina right into her hands <sighs> so leonardo wiped the worry from her that her friends would you know wonder why her letters got lost in the mail had she sent them mm-hmm. so she was like i'll send them for you <laughs> from here Eh, I'll hand deliver them for you. I'm also a mail carrier. (laughs) She had already seen that Faustina would be incredibly happy in her new life, so there was no harm in telling everyone a little ahead of time. No harm. No harm. The next morning, it was barely light outside when Faustina knocked softly at Leonardo's shop door, incredibly excited but also nervous to begin her journey. Her entire life was about to be left behind, and she had no idea what was in store for her, but she did have total trust in the wise older woman who had been such a kind and devoted friend to her. But before the transportation Leonardo had arranged for Faustina was due to arrive, she noticed Faustina's anxiety and encouraged her to sit for a moment as she brought over a bottle of wine. She poured some into a glass, placed a kind hand on the young woman's shoulder to steady her, smiled, and said, All will be well soon. Leonardo sat down at the table across from Faustina, and she gratefully took a deep drink of the sweet red wine. And when she started to place the unfinished glass on the table, Leonardo said with an unwavering smile, Oh, go ahead on and drink it all up. It will help. With a giggle, Faustina tossed it all back and grimaced slightly at how bitter it had suddenly gotten at the bottom. As she looked at her friend across the table, she became acutely aware that 
the usual morning hustle and bustle of the soap shop was non-existent, and the air around them was completely silent. All of a sudden, the sensation of being on a boat that abruptly lurched in choppy water overwhelmed Faustina. Her head rolled back on her shoulders, and her tongue felt like it weighed a hundred pounds. With great effort, she lifted her head back to where Leonardo had been sitting, but the older woman was nowhere to be seen. Was the sun reversing and going back down? The floor felt like it was moving beneath her. Maybe her nerves were just getting to her after all, because something was very, very wrong. It was a good thing that she was in the company of a friend who was so skilled in making people feel better. All right, Caitlin. Oh, gosh. I need you to dig deep into your dramatic storytelling because I have given you the first death blow scene. <laughs> and it is horrible. Ah. With relief. <laughs> An incredibly disoriented Faustina saw Leonardo emerge from the back of the shop where she made her soaps, and as she opened her mouth to ask for help, her relief turned to confusion when she realized that Leonardo was walking directly towards her, clutching a large axe. Fuck. Oh, gosh. Oh, My butthole is clenching right now. <laughs> oh. Faustina could hear the older woman muttering with in what sounded like a for oh fuck a foreign Ew. language that's when you know it's over yep that uh, <laughs> it's, it's like oh. when an Italian woman is muttering at you in a foreign language <laughs> holding an axe it is done and ah! seen <laughs> <laughs> but the drugs in her system were so strong it was as though she had grown root and was frozen to the ground even as Leonardo raised the axe high above her head said, I'm sorry, and brought it smashing down with all of her strength. Ugh. Oh my god. Faustina screamed as blood gushed and sprayed. Leonardo had been unable to look her in the face as she brought down the axe, and the single blow death she'd hoped to carry out failed when the axe buried itself instead in Faustina's shoulder. Oh my god. Faustina wept and screamed, but it was too late now. This had to be done. Her precious son's life hung in the balance. I mean, also, you kind of already hacked her, so you might have yeah, might as well finish. God. But you could stop. You could. You always have the decision. Yeah, she could have stopped. Leonardo lifted the axe once more and brought it down again, directly on the center of her friend's head. But once again, she had overestimated her own skill and strength at wielding the blade. And instead of finishing it, the blow deflected off of Faustina's skull, taking half of her face with it. And she was still screaming. Again and again, Leonardo raised the axe and brought it down on Faustina. With Leonardo herself sputtering and gasping to breathe and keep the axe in her hands through the slick blood spraying absolutely everywhere. When it was finally over, 
Faustina Setti lay in four pieces in a sea of blood on the floor of Leonardo's soap shop. To say things did not go as planned would be an understatement, but Leonardo had no choice if she didn't want the horrific murder she'd just committed to be in vain. She had to keep going. She needed to clean the horrific mess she'd created before Raphael came home and shipped her off to the insane asylum forever. And she needed to salvage as much of the clean, pure blood from Faustina's remains as she could that hadn't been ruined by touching the floor. Leonardo hung the pieces of flesh from the herb oaks she had on the ceiling and carefully massaged and squeezed each piece over a basin to draw every last drop of blood out. But despite her best efforts, she barely managed to extract enough to fill it. She emptied the blood into trays and slid them into a hot oven so that it would dry out into a workable ingredient for the rest of the spell and she placed the rest of Faustina's remains in pots of the same caustic soda that she used for rendering animal fat into soap, which was powerful enough to dissolve every last bit of a human body from the hair to the bones. And then she set about making some batter for the tea cakes she always served in the shop, and which she knew Giuseppe was particularly fond of. <laughs> Caitlin is unwell. <laughs> She milked her body parts like a fucking cow's udder. Oh my god. And then... This is some next level disassociation. It really is unreal. How you can go from... I can't... In the 1930s, in a rural Italian farm town, to be like... I can't even handle seeing a chicken being killed when everybody was axing their chickens left and right to axe murdering a person into a bunch of little pieces. What a leap. While she is awake and aware. Yeah. She, oh my she's God. like, hey, drink the whole bottle yeah. of wine. But like, eh, let's yeah. not wait until you're like, you know, gone off that bottle of wine. Yeah. Uh- yes. she. That is insane. She was alert and aware and flipping out. And she continued. Ah, yeah, fuck. Ooh, that is so chilling. Ugh. After a few hours, Leonardo pulled the pans of blood out of the oven. Gosh, Ugh. scraped every last bit of the rust-colored dust that remained. Eh, added a splash of vanilla. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> Into the batter for her tea cakes. She frantically scrubbed and cleaned every single inch of her shop and kitchen and herself, set her soiled clothes in a pot of vinegar, and started preparing dinner for her family like she always did. As her shop and kitchen started to return to normal, as if it ever could, Oh my gosh. Leonardo's anxiety lifted and she felt herself relaxing. She had done it. Everything was clean, and she hadn't been caught. All that was left to do was finish rendering down the remains she had been boiling in caustic soda, and she could work it into soap to cover and protect her precious Giuseppe. But when she lifted the lid on one of the pots, she was horrified to find that it was a rancid, brown, and sticky mess, and was completely unsalvageable. Yeah. Leonardo wept in despair. The spell would not be complete without the protection of her soap. 
and her failure would surely cost her son his life. Even the tea cakes were useless without the completion of the full ritual to harness their power. She still served fuck her. She still served them to her guests and Giuseppe though. So they wouldn't go to waste. I, <laughs> I would sooner eat the dirt underneath the chicken's claws <laughs> and not let that go to waste. Oh man. Yeah, I agree. Ugh. That's horrifying. Well, everyone seemed to enjoy them just as much as ever. Oh god. Hey, oh my god, what's the new recipe? Love. <laughs> Is that the secret ingredient? This tastes a little bit salty. <laughs> Salted vanilla tea cake. That's fucked. Yeah, it is. After racking her brain to figure out where her process had gone wrong, the only conclusion that Leonardo could come to was that Faustina had simply been too old for the spell that she needed. And her body wasn't able to produce the type of product that would make the best soap for her youthful son. But 1940 was fast approaching, as was the day that her son Giuseppe would be shipping out to war. And Leonardo was running out of time. If you have made it this far in the story, thank you for (laughs) sticking with us. Originally, this was going to be a two-parter, but as we started really getting into it, we realized that in order to really do the story of Leonardo Cinciulli, the soap maker of Correggio, and all of her intricacies and the, I don't even know, the cascading failures of her mental state, uh, we wanted to give you three parts instead of just two. So sorry to make you wait Babe, one more week. This couldn't be anything but a trilogy, yes. honestly. <laughs> the so trilogy, much. Uh, the trilogy of Leonardo Cinciulli. So we're going to be coming at you with the conclusion next week. And yeah, in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed listening to this absolutely horrible story <laughs> and our, we like to think, uh, less than horrible insights and armchair psychoanalysis in the meantime while you're waiting for part three if you would like to follow us on instagram we'd love to have you over at camping is canceled we'd love to have you send any case suggestions to camping is canceled at gmail.com or any of your own personal stories of anything spooky paranormal survival or just in general horribly embarrassing that happened to you in your life or at summer camp. (laughs) Send us them all because we want to get you guys involved as well. If you feel so inclined, you can also follow us on Patreon at Camping is Cancelled. And am I missing anything, Caitlin? I don't think so. I don't think so. Catch you here next week. Lights out, campers. Bye. We look forward to diving in a little bit more next week. Yes. As Leonardo scrubs Giuseppe from his lips to his taint. Ew. (laughs) Why do you have to say that word? (laughs) 
his All booty hole, his lips to his booty hole. As Leonardo completes the ritual. <laughs> Scrubbing her son. Caitlin gave us to us a frat boy terms. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I you am have us both and not just one of us. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs>